topic of our Dhamma talk this evening is equanimity. Upeka in the Pali in the scriptural language. And um, a very nice uh, illustration for you know, the workings of uh, equanimity you know, consists in um, a, well, a tumbling kelly, or also known as a billigan. Do you know what a tumbling kelly is? You've all grown up. There you go. It's a doll which has a heavy bottom, has certainly some metal piece that is embedded into its bottom part. The bottom part is shaped like a half moon. And certainly then, you know, towards certainly the top, it's cone-shaped. And certainly then, you know, if you push it over to one side, what happens? It comes back to center. If you push it certainly over to the other side, it goes back to center. There you go. And so, in the most simple way, you know, the tumbling kelly or you know, the billikin represents what equanimity is all about. And then when it comes, so the tumbling kelly performs its function of coming back to center very easily and with a smile on its face. Oftentimes these come with uh, some uh, uh, pictures there. Now, what about us as human beings? Do we all... Do we you know, come back to center as easily as certain of the tumbling Kelly? Well, this certain question is there to be uh, explored. Now, another practical example for um, you know, this equanimity is certain, especially here related to Newbury, you know, Massachusetts, well, is the weather. And uh, um, there are people who are uh, rather uh, sensitive to you know, the weather. You know, so you know, when it's sunny, you know, sunny and bright, then you know, they feel, you know, especially when a person happens to be from California, you know, where you know, there's lots of sunshine. So you know, when, you know, when it's sunny and bright, you know, then you know, these people feel rather you know, elated, excited. Oh, another wonderful day. And certainly, but then, you know, just a few hours down the road, you know, as we have all learned by now, you know, the weather is changing, the clouds appear on the sky, and certainly then, you know, very shortly, you know, it rains. And certainly, so if we're sensitive to you know, the weather, and then and it's, it becomes overcast, it's uh, uh, even you know, rainy, you know, then you know, we might certainly easily you know, feel sad or even get certainly depressed. Now, this kind of a reaction, what do you think? Does, uh, no, does it compare in any way with the tumbling, Kelly? Not really. And certainly so, 
as such in such a person not much equanimity is present and so one's mental one's mood depends on the weather conditions if it's sunny we feel great and if it's maybe somewhat certain cool and then it's drizzling then we feel somewhat certain depressed now, life is certainly full of surprises and certainly the Buddha, in a very simple form of teachings, has spoken about the so-called eight worldly conditions. And these in the Pani language are known as Loka Dhamma, Atta Loka Dhamma. So, Loka is your world, Atta is eight, and Satna Dhamma are your teachings. So eight, eight teachings or conditions, eight worldly conditions. Now, um, these eight worldly conditions come in you know, four you know, pairs of Satna opposites, and Satna, the first you know, pair of opposites, is known in the Pali scriptural language as Laba and Alaba. And Laba means gain, and Alaba means loss. And so the normal human reaction when we gain something, so when we get what we've been wishing for, hoping for, for quite some time, then what happens to our mood? Pardon me? Then we feel happy. Yes, indeed. And then, if we lose something, so let's say some material item, or maybe even worse, we lose through through death some person who is near or dear to us. Then, what will be the mood in this case? Then we will be sad. So that's the usual uh, state of uh, affairs. Now, the second uh, pair of uh, opposites of uh, worldly conditions consists of yasa and ayasa. And uh, yasa here means, it's the Pani term for honor, fame, companionship. And ayasa is certainly the opposite to this, namely dishonor, disgrace, and uh, lack of uh, companionship. So uh, when we have uh, plenty of uh, friends, in the real world, and we receive visitors all the time. And then on top of this, we also have many virtual friends, let's say on Facebook, and so the number of friends there is increasing to 500. Then we feel rather, we might feel rather happy and important. But um, and then if uh, our number of friends is certainly uh, declining, we receive less uh, visitors and <coughs> sorry. And uh, the number of our friends on Facebook is also declining, and I don't even know whether this is possible or not. <laughs> it's possible, yes? 
Oh, then, uh, friends can unsub unsubscribe. Uh -huh. So, <laughs> so then, this certainly might certainly come as a big disappointment, and our mood then will take a down turn. Now, um, as human beings, we tend to be sensitive. And so when we go through school and the teacher praises us for, let's say, some homework done really well, then we feel elated and then lots of energy comes up and then we'll be rather lively throughout the day. But on the other hand, if maybe two days later in class we get greatly reprimanded for some mistake or some transgression in front of everyone else, then this may not be all that pleasant. And so usually in the face or in the presence of fatna praise people people's mood goes up the smile appears on the face and certainly then in the face of fatna blame our mood goes down and we feel quite certainly miserable and our day will not be that lively and certainly it, it sure then seems as if a heavy weight is uh, or heavy burden is certainly on our mind and certain shoulders now then there is certainly the fourth and last pair namely that of fitness sukha and dukkha so sukha stands for happiness for well-being and dukkha stands for suffering and certainly for misery now um is any one of you exempted from these certain eight worldly conditions is there or is there not? Not. And then, is there any human being who maybe is not in, who is not experiencing those eight certain worldly conditions? What about the Buddha? Did he have to put up with these eight worldly conditions, or was was he never affected, or was he did he never experience them? He did uh, experience them. He was put certainly, to you know, the test on quite a number of you know, occasions. And so there's this certain famous you know, story of you know, the Buddha on you know, one you know, occasion you know, being uh, accused, whether you know, were some heretics who you know, were you know, rather you know, jealous of you know, the Buddha's increasing popularity. And so you know, then you know, they you know, tried to you know, find ways and means you know, to discredit you know, the Buddha. So what they did was they hired a woman who then got paid to pretend that the Buddha had caused her pregnancy. And so 
on one occasion the Buddha was certainly giving uh, a public Dhamma talk and so this certain woman showed up and then she had certainly stuffed all sorts of clothes underneath her coat and so that the impression would certainly arise that certainly she was already you know highly pregnant. And so then in the midst of you know, the discourse, you know, she started you know, raising her you know, voice and accusing you know, the Buddha of you know, having caused her you know, pregnancy. And then it so happened that suddenly these clothes or the pretended, the fake pregnancy became obvious and suddenly the whole thing fell apart. And suddenly thus the accusation then was no longer valid. And suddenly there was a, another occasion when you know, the Buddha you know, was even uh, accused of uh, um, having, you know, he or his disciples, of uh, having committed uh, the murder of uh, a woman. And so for seven days, the heretics were going around town and shouting anti-Buddha slogans. And it got so bad that Elder Ananda even proposed to the Buddha, let us move away to a place where there's less agitation. And the Buddha said, no, no, let us stay here and let us weather the storm. And eventually the whole thing, then the truth became known and those, or that woman had been murdered by the heretics or ordered to be murdered. So, as certain uh, human uh, beings, including uh, the Buddha, uh, these certain uh, we are all uh, subject to uh, the uh, eight worldly conditions. The question is certain uh, for the most part how we deal with those eight certain uh, worldly conditions. So, do we? become a victim of them and certainly then whenever we come across some pleasant experience then we feel elated and whenever we come across certain loss or dishonor or blame or suffering then we feel somewhat disheartened. Now, equanimity is one of the ten perfections, upeka parami, in the Pani scriptural language. And so when the Buddha to be, namely the Bodhisattva Sumedha, during an earlier existence, he admonished himself as follows. Sumedha, this certain great earth yes, sorry, shows no signs 
of love or hatred towards all the things that are dumped upon it, whether they are clean or foul. Likewise, Sumeda, you should always remain composed or equable in heart, not being affected either by love or hate. When you are accomplished in fulfilling the perfection of equanimity, you will attain the path and fruition and omniscience. Now, along the same line, we have Fatna Dhammapada, verse 1801, which then says in the Pali scriptural language, Selo yata ekaka no watena na samirati, evam ninda pasamsasu na saminjanti pandita. The meaning of this verse is as a mountain of rock is unshaken by wind, so too the wise are unperturbed by blame or by praise. And so, so whatever is certain, whatever weather conditions may be prevalent, a mountain of rock will not react to it. If it's sunny, then it will be okay for the mountain of rock. If it's uh, maybe overcast and uh, um, rainy, then that's fine too. And uh, if it's dry, that's fine. If snow falls, that's fine too. Now, when talking about uh, or exploring equanimity and its different aspects, then it's important to understand that this equanimity is well an intelligent way of dealing with life's ups and downs. And so we, with equanimity, we observe formations or we handle formations in a detached manner and not losing our watchfulness and self-possession. And to make it very clear, um, oftentimes equanimity is being misunderstood as being a form of disinterestedness or indifference and equanimity is not that. And sometimes those who do who have not yet experienced that equanimity themselves and certainly then come across a friend who possesses a deep or a strong degree of equanimity, they may feel somewhat put off at first. It seems like the person has lost all of his or her emotions. And certainly this is not necessarily the case. It's just you know, that um, 
you know, the person who possesses equanimity um, has good control over it. You know, the mind and has you know, realized by it and experience you know, that um, you know, being or riding on you know, this roller coaster of emotions is in the end not you know, all you know, or not that's not such a peaceful state of being. Now, for still a better understanding of equanimity, it's worth looking at certain synonyms given in the Dhammasangani, but also modern synonyms. So, other terms that certainly come to mind would be equipoise or would be balance. And certainly then detachment, what else can you think of? Centeredness, well, yes, okay, it's a good one. What else? Non-reactivity. A non-reactivity, yes, okay, good. Still, what else? And so, you know, what about our relationship to, you know, to others? At times, we might certainly give another person, um, we might favor another person, and then with some entirely different person, we may not want to favor him or her. There you go, impartiality towards certain human beings or conditions. So, um, other words for equanimity then are neutrality of mind, and then as one Burmese scholar has proposed the zero point between the extremes such as craving and aversion, or to put it differently, greed and hatred, or fear and delight. And then, if we take the Pali term Tatra Majjhatta, which is actually the name of the mental factor of equanimity. And so if we take that term and translate it literally, it means there in the middle or there in the middleness. So the state of coming back to the center over and over again. And unshakability of the mind would be maybe another possible, another way of translating it. Now, as for the classical definition of equanimity, namely of tatra majatata, neutrality of the mind. Its characteristic is given as conveying consciousness and the mental factors evenly, so that certainly then the mind works certainly properly, and certainly its function is to prevent deficiency and certainly excess, or as another possibility to prevent certain partiality. Now. The function is to prevent deficiency and uh, excess. 
in our meditation practice, it can happen many times, especially with regard to the controlling faculties or near the enlightenment factors, events that maybe we're trying too hard, and suddenly this would be a case of excessive effort. Or it could be just the opposite, that we're not exerting enough effort, and suddenly then it's a deficient effort. Or, in the case of concentration, our concentration is excessive, and as a result of this, then we oftentimes fall asleep. And then the other extreme would be that we're lacking in concentration, and the result of this is that the mind is rather distracted. And so, equanimity helps too prevent any of these excesses or deficiencies. And then in terms of partiality and impartiality, let's say if we have a group of people to deal with and we have certain benefits to give away, then at first we may want to favor this person, that person, etc. And then and then you know, maybe you know, second thoughts might arise. Well, if I do this in the long run, you know, problems might arise. And certainly, so you know, eventually, you know, the mind then you know, takes up you know, this certain you know, position of impartiality you know, towards you know, all people there. And so you know, then the benefits certainly get distributed evenly. Now, equanimity manifests as neutrality. And so the mind then assumes a neutral position. And neither preferring one thing over another. Whatever it might be, it will be okay. Now, when we develop this certain quality of equanimity in our meditation practice towards the different objects that are occurring, so physical and mental objects, then gradually more and more equanimity will arise. Now, this then paves also the ground for equanimity towards people. And as certain human beings, if we well happen to live in here in this very country, namely in the United States of America, then we might, owing to our upbringing, have, let's say, a negative attitude towards maybe nationals belonging to some other country. And so, um, then so we may grow up like this, and if we then practice meditation, eventually 
the equanimity that arises will then also get translated as as impartiality towards all human beings and certainly then we treat them we treat them equally we respect them in the same way wherever the person might be from Now, equanimity is a mental factor that is well present in the stream of consciousness in a latent form. And so, um, if we don't meditate, then this equanimity may not become very predominant. And then we will never really get to know what it's all about. Now, but the potential is certainly there. Now, when we actually undertake the meditation practice, then after having well developed intuitive wisdom to some extent, and let's say the imperfections of insights are coming up, in that certain connection, then equanimity may arise in a predominant, in a distinct manner. And at that point, it certainly may arise in two forms, namely equanimity in insight and also as equanimity in advertence. So equanimity in insight in Pali is the Statra Majatata, and the second one is certainly known in Pali as Awajana Upika. And these now then are get explained in the Visuddhi Magga as certainly follows, namely, equanimity and insight is a neutrality in the investigation of formations owing to the objective field having been already investigated. Now, this is an important point. If you've observed the whole range of physical and mental formations, not just 10,000 times, but let's say 100,000 times, then you've probably, you will probably come to a point where nothing really touches you anymore. You've seen it all. And so, so even if some exciting object comes up, never mind, it's just another physical or mental phenomenon. Even if maybe a challenging pain comes up, never mind, you've already come across so many pains and aches, so this one is maybe number thousand. And so it's not really a challenge anymore. Now, the second certain type of equanimity is in the form of Avajana Upeka, which is equanimity in adverting in the mind door. And the explanation given in the 20th chapter of the Visuddhimagga, paragraph 121, is that 
whatever object the mind adverts to, once the adverting works as incisively and as sharply as a lightning flash. And so, you know, like a you know, red-hot spear plunged into a basket of leaves. And so, this means you know, that um, since your mind is already you know, pretty, you know, pretty bad or pretty well you know, you know, developed, whether the object is pleasant or unpleasant, desirable or unpleasant, uh, undesirable. It no longer uh, matters and right away you know, the mind Satna will uh, advert Satna to it without Satna reacting uh, much. So this is a very particular uh, aspect of uh, uh, equanimity that uh, uh, occurs as one of as the ninth of the uh, imperfections of uh, insight. Now, <clears throat> as we go on in our you know, meditation practice, equanimity you know, then uh, gradually, you know, well, subsides somewhat and becomes less predominant, less visible. And stronger reactions will be the norm. And at times we might get quite overwhelmed by sadness. At other times we might be rather disenchanted with formations. And then we might at other times experience much, or the mind might take much delight in formations, etc., etc. Now, if we keep going in our meditation practice, and we've really seen it all, with this, then comes a certain professionalism. And then, no matter what the object is that arises, the mind will tackle it with good certain equanimity. And it is during this certain phase that or this particular phase in the practice then is known as the knowledge of equanimity towards certain formations. So whatever object arises, equanimity will be there. At first it's still relatively weak and gradually it gets stronger and stronger. And so this particular equanimity or insight knowledge of equanimity about certain formations, we shall deal with it in one of our forthcoming Dhamma talks for a better understanding what it's all about. Now, Based on the path of discrimination of the Patisamida Magga and its first chapter, section or paragraph 325 to 330, the Visuddhi Magga in section 160 then mentions 10 kinds of equanimity. 
and certain of those you know, to you know, give you the list just for you know, general knowledge and then um, I'll say uh, and those you know, fall into certain categories. So the first one is the so-called Chalang Upekan and so this means six-factored equanimity. The next one is Brahma Vihar Upeka, namely you know, equanimity as a you know, divine abiding. And so, you know, so both of these, in essence, boil down to one and the same thing, namely to neutrality of mind. Then we have Bojang Upeka, which is equanimity as an enlightenment factor. So it certainly occurs as part of the enlightenment factors. And this too boils down to the same essence of neutrality of mind. Then we have Viri Upeka, namely equanimity of energy. And even though the term Upeka is mentioned, yet in essence, it's not equanimity, but in essence, it is about effort. And the effort, then, what do you think? Uh, is excessive or lacking? Or something else? Well, it is balanced. There you go. So, viri upeka, upeka, in essence, is balanced effort. Then, we have sankupeka, namely equanimity about certain formations, and certain one could assume that certain, that uh, that this is uh, also in essence the same thing as the mental factor of neutrality, but it is not, and it becomes obvious if we look at the full term, namely sankupeka jnana. Jnana means insight knowledge. And certainly so the knowledge, the insight knowledge of equanimity about formations. So in essence, this particular you know, the form here you know, boils down you know, to intuitive wisdom, a particular form of intuitive wisdom. And then we have Tatra Majatata itself, which is certainly the mental factor of neutrality. And then neutrality of mind. Then we have Jan Upeka, which is equanimity of Jan. This also boils down to Tatra Majatata, so to neutrality. Then we have Parisud Upeka, equanimity of purification. That's also the same thing in essence. Then we have Vedna Upeka, equanimity as a feeling. And so this has less to do with equanimity, but more to do with feelings. And feelings, as you know, are of three kinds, namely pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And certainly so here it refers to a neutral feeling. And then the last one is vipassana upeka, equanimity about insight. And in essence, this boils down again to intuitive wisdom. So basically, these uh, ten forms of uh, equanimity uh, that are being mentioned in both 
the Patisambida Maga and the Visuddhi Maga, then can be broke or can be grouped together in four groups, and then we have the group that boils down to neutrality, then the group that consists of effort, the group that the two items that come under intuitive wisdom, and then feeling Vedana. Now, we will not have the time to go through the entire list of ten forms of equanimity, and this is also not necessary because not all of them really concern our practice here, our satipatthana practice. Now, let us take, for the sake of general knowledge, a closer look at Chalang Upeka. Now, the word Upeka obviously means certainly equanimity, and certainly then we have the word Chalang. And certainly this can be further broken down into Cha and Anga. And certainly so Anga is your factor, and Cha is Pani for six, so your six-factored certain equanimity. Now, do you have any idea why it is called this way? It has to do with the six, six sense bases. Um, yes, this is correct. And what does it mean then further? Yes. So, equanimity towards Satna, all the many formations arising at Satna, the six Satna sense certain doors. So, whether we come across a desirable or an undesirable, visible object, the mind remains balanced. Or, whether we come across a desirable or undesirable sound, the mind remains balanced. And the same thing goes for the other sense doors. Now, this is rather the norm, or this is out of the norm? That's not one of these certain uh, easy questions. Ah, yes. So, will there be in, in uh, you know, let's say here in, uh, in our yogi population, will there be many who uh, possess this certain uh, chalang upeka in a perfect form? Uh, if there is an arahant, <laughs> yeah, then yes, otherwise not. <laughs> and so, it is actually this Chalang Upeka, among the ten kinds of equanimity, is the highest form of equanimity. So it's equanimity you know, developed to perfection, you know, where whatever ever occurs at the six sense stores, whether we get yelled at, yelled at or praised, whether we eat certain food that is to our liking or not, and whether it's hot or cold, whether it's sunny or not. 
uh, no, no matter. Uh, whatever our experiences are in the mentation practice, the mind remains just like this, totally unaffected. Now, uh, as meditators, we can uh, maybe do uh, this or achieve this with regards uh, to one object at one sense store for maybe five seconds, and then maybe with regard to another object at a different sense store for another five seconds, and that's it. But to do this for days upon end, for years upon end, without being affected by anything whatsoever, this is really extremely difficult. And so it takes the attainment of arahantship to actually have mastered this six-factor equanimity. So the usual thing is we react to the sense impressions and if it's a pleasant impression, then there will be liking, there will be wanting more and more of it. And then if it's an undesirable sense impression, then we will want to push it away. And if the sense impression is somewhat bland in its features, then we may not, then ignorance arises and we won't understand its nature. And so, when we react to the sense store impressions with liking, disliking, or with ignorance, then this in the Pali scriptural language is known as an uneven outlook, asamakana in Pali. Now, Equanimity is a mental state that is not so easy to experience and to bring to perfection. So, do we develop it by thinking? So, may equanimity arise in the mind. Or you think of these many illustrations given, like you keep remembering the tumbling Kelly. Will this help? Maybe for a moment or two, but then you might lose it. So, there is really no other way to bring about sudden equanimity um, then uh, actual meditation practice. Once you know, we have experienced it, then we will know at least roughly what it's uh, you know, all about, and uh, then you know, we can transpose uh, you know, this knowledge and uh, you know, then apply it you know, to you know, you know, situations outside of, uh, you know, of a retreat. Now, 
There is certainly in the Anguttara Nikaya 3, section 279, uh, a statement with regard certainly to equanimity, namely there it says, Upeka kocha viharati satocha sampajano, which means one dwells in equanimity, mindful and certainly fully comprehending. And certainly this certainly then gets certainly further explained as chakuna rupam diswa nevasumano hoti nadumano upekako viharati nasato sampajano, which means here a bhikkhur, the meditator, uh, is neither glad nor sad on seeing an object with uh, near the eye. One dwells in equanimity, mindful, and certainly clearly uh, comprehending. Now, the Venerable Nasad Upanita has another example, or has, an, has another example for this certain equanimity, namely, he says, it is certain like the driver of a motor vehicle whose engine is certain operating perfectly and certain which is certain running along a straight and certain smooth highway free of certain traffic. All you know, the person you know, needs to do is just hold on to you know, the steering you know, wheel and certainly then um, keep you know, driving along with a calm you know, mind and without any undue you know, concern. And certainly, so this certain aspect of undue, without undue concern, is a major feature of equanimity, and certainly we shall also deal with this in one of the forthcoming Dhamma talks. Now, <clears throat> the presence or absence of equanimity in our <clears throat> in our life will make a huge difference, and. Uh, also, under normal circumstances, we are indeed as if on, um, you know, as as if going up and sudden down. Um, being as if in a, a dinghy, you know, then suddenly gets uh, you know, thrown uh, with the waves up and suddenly down, or like being on a you know, roller you know, coaster. And suddenly, this doesn't really, or this means that we don't suddenly really possess suddenly much spiritual stamina or resilience. Now, in the presence of equanimity, all of this suddenly changes, and the mind gains a tremendous inner strength. And so it gains certain what the Venerable Sadhu calls you know, spiritual stamina or you know, the resilience, certain power. And so, what 
whatever happens to you in life, whether you, know, you get praised or you know, blamed, whether you know, things are happening according to your you know, wishes or not, it really doesn't matter. You know, the mind you know, just uh, you know, accepts it all and is not certainly affected in any you know, particular manner. And this, if you once you've experienced that equanimity and you've taken it into your daily life, you will notice it makes you like invincible, and nothing can touch you, and there's just no major difficulty in life, and. Where other people you know, maybe lose their balance, get angry, or you know, get elated, or that, or this or that, you, know, you just you know, keep on. You just fare you know, on. And when we think of you know, the health of the mind, well, there is in the field of psychology for many decades, much emphasis that has been given to the study of unwholesome mental states and how to deal with them. But it's only maybe, and please do correct me because I'm not a specialist, it's probably only 30, 40 years or so that more, or also some preference, is certainly being given, and some interest is certainly being taken in the study of wholesome mental states. And in the end, this equanimity of mind or neutrality of mind is actually a very strong state and a state to be well embraced as much as possible. And so if more and more people would possess this quality, there would be much less suffering in this world, or people would be less affected by it. And so do not think, or do, yeah, well, think, think about, or reflect upon it. So this equanimity is indeed a quality of mind that is worth praising and certainly that is worth pursuing. In the text, certainly it is explained as follows, namely as an excellent condition and um, a condition that and a condition of equipoise that views good or bad, wholesome and unwholesome, skillful and unskillful things with equilibrium without changing the originality. Now, maybe just a few 
few words about that Brahma Vihart, Upeka equanimity as part of the Brahma Vihart practice. Now, I know this is not what we're practicing right now, but just for general knowledge. The practice of the divine abidings or abodes consists of the meta-meditation or contemplating meta-meditation, then contemplation of compassion and then of sympathetic joy, mudita and equanimity. And so in the case of loving kindness, this certainly then gets extended, especially you know, sorry, especially uh, to you know, those certain uh, who um, are uh, maybe uh, feeble, or to, no, actually to all uh, beings. And then um, compassion, karuna, uh, gets certainly uh, extended to uh, all of those who uh, suffer. And then, in the case of sympathetic joy, uh, this certainly uh, gets extended uh, to uh, those who are successful, who are prosperous, and uh, um, who uh, move ahead in life. And whereas in the case of uh, neutrality, it certainly then applies to those situations in life where we cannot change a particular situation and we may have tried already through loving-kindness metta, through compassion and through sympathetic joy and so in the end we then just have to say there's nothing I can do right now and I just or things just have to happen according to gamma to past actions and then their respective karmic results. Now This uh, then doesn't mean that suddenly we throw another person out of our heart. It just certainly means if, let's say, another person doesn't want to take our advice, then we just certainly remain patient and we leave it at this and we just certainly wait for some later point in time when our friend is certainly more willing to listen. Now, this certain equanimity that Brahma Vihara and Upeka that certainly develops in the course of the Brahma Vihara practice is ideally of such a kind that certainly there is no more preference between, no more distinguishing between a dear person, a very dear person, and certainly then a neutral person and an enemy. All become equally important certainly to us.
Now, maybe this much shouldn't afford it. Now, let me conclude certain today's certain Dhamma talk by wishing may all of you bring as much or may much equanimity arise in your meditation practice. May it come in handy to deal with the ups and downs in the meditation itself, but may it also come in handy to deal with the ups and downs in life outside of a retreat. May this equanimity then be developed to perfection and one day may become Chalang Upeka Nemi Six-Factored Equanimity. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.